and this is part of the conversation that mm. we're having. Mm. So mm. I wouldn't be scaring everyone to say, hey, we've all got to run away and stop using technology. Technology has its benefits. But really, we're as an industry, we need to, as much as possible, encourage organizations out there to adopt this or at least investigate the technology. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today we are talking about cybersecurity, identity and authentication. Of course, a big thank you to our show partners, to Gorilla Technology, HP, Spark NZ, Two Degrees and One NZ. Uh, two fantastic guests joining us. Uh, first up, Alex Wilson, who is the Director Solutions Engineering uh, for Ubico in um, Asia Pacific and Japan, uh, and also Stephen Phillips, Senior Account Executive at Sneak, uh, who has been on the show many times. Uh, but Alex, you're up first because it's your first time on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. So thank you for uh, for taking the time on, on your uh, visit to New Zealand. Thank you very much, Paul. And um, it's nice to be here, given COVID, getting to travel again is just wonderful. So it's really nice to get face to face to people again. But Thank you for the time. Look forward to the conversation. Yeah, maybe you can um, just give a little bit of an introduction of, of you know, where you fit into this big wide world of, of tech and what you do. Been in technology now for over almost 40 years now, long time ago, previous to that military service, always focused on computing and how it interacts with users. Uh, more recently, the past six years, I've been working with Ubico, John Ubico, 2017 just as they were on the cusp of becoming a, a, a force within the, the IT world and authentication. What also came along at that time was malicious actors, attack vectors, wonderful um, systems that are out there readily available for people to attack uh, your credential and try and steal your data. Um, we moved during the the 2000s or the 90s from script kiddies, people doing things for fun, or people doing things for monetary gain, or and nation states wanting to do nefarious things and bad things. So Ubico has developed over that six years. I'll, I'll talk about the technology as we go through and the challenges that we face and the problems that we're solving. Um, but I look after the technology side, speaking to customers, educating them, influencing them, and responding to their challenges when, whether they've been breached or whether they just need to improve their security or understand the new capabilities that are coming along. So that's what I do. And I have a, I have a team across the region as well that I'll look after. Yeah, that's great. Stephen. Good to be here. Thanks, Paul. I'm working for Sneak, uh, which is a developer security company. Uh, and we primarily uh, look, look after helping developers um, avoid coding sort of vulnerabilities, uh, bringing coding vulnerabilities in from open source, and now when they're writing code, how they declare they want the infrastructure to work, uh, quite often they're, they're doing what's called infrastructure as code. And, and unfortunately, they sometimes don't declare that right. They put in things like uh, hard uh, passwords, uh, get hard-coded into into the code. So it's all, all also about sort of making sure that that type of thing can't be used to breach um, authentication. 
That's great. Well, it's good to have uh, two people who are really, you know, working on helping keep organisations secure, but from from different perspectives, uh, which is perfect for our discussion uh, today. I guess uh, as a as a starting point, it would be good to look at uh, really the the challenges. What are the what are the problems that uh, you know that we need to address? Uh, so I think <coughs> cybersecurity in general creates uh, a lot of sort of fear and worry uh, from the boardroom to you know really you know I think probably every individual um, has has probably a worry or two from time to time. Mm. Uh, around, around these matters, so it's not just about business. It's not just about individuals protecting their their own uh, privacy and their own financial assets and and so on. It it really covers uh, everybody from one you know one perspective to a, to another. So I guess sort of the the big question is: Are we are we too trusting? We should not stop trusting people. And I, I think that the digital age, the digitalization, the online access by everyone is challenging people's thoughts about trust. We grow up, we trust the person next to us, we trust, trust the person generally on the bus or on the train, and it's built into us. When we go online now, or historically, IT has been the remit of the organization you work for. Uh, so if you went to a company, they looked after the security and everything else. But now it's came into our lives. We have devices, um, whether it's watches, whether it's phones, whether it's whatever, and we have online presence. Uh, and we have to trust that system. Therein lies the problem uh, because the technology that protects that trust is baked into the early 60s, which is username and password, and that's when I was born. So this technology is as old as me, and people rely on it as, as that trust signal, and it's not good enough. And, and I think, and back to the question, what do we, should we trust? And uh, we need to trust something. Um, now, the industry is addressing that. The industry, the, the behemoths of the technology world, Microsoft, Apple, Google, um, they have came together along with many others in the industry, specifically other financial uh, systems. And we're bringing together a solution, bringing it to market that removes the need for passwords as the most common thing you use to authenticate because passwords are now inherently broken. So yes, back to your question, we have to trust, otherwise we won't get on. But we need to fix the systems there to make sure that that trust is continued. Um, Ubico's foundation is to make the internet a safer place for everyone, not just technology people. So that's anyone who has an online presence, irrespective of age, gender, language, whatever, make it safer, make it trusted. And that's what we've been trying to do at Ubico. What are your thoughts on this this trust question, Stephen? Yeah, um, cer- certainly people have been, uh, you know, trusting in the one password that they've been using across multiple systems uh, for a long time. But um, in this age of online connectedness, you can't do that anymore because if if that um, password basically on one site is used on another site, um, if, if that information gets breached, uh, your information, your identity can be stolen. So that, that, that's a big issue and that's you know, really the, you know, the space Alex is in is uh, protecting that sort of uh, interactive um, proof of identity. 
Uh, there's also another vector, and that, that's kind of the one that um, you know Sneak is involved with, and that, that's the programmatic vector. And you know, just in 2022 alone, uh, one of our technology partners, uh, GitGuardian, uh, found that there was over 10 million of these programmatic secrets, which is uh, the, the authentication or the identity uh, between two computing elements. Um, and and what, what's happened is developers have actually uh, accidentally leaked about 10 million of these basically into one of the large sort of um, software repositories, uh, GitHub, in the last year. And developers, you know, they don't want to do that, but sometimes they might, might be taking a bit of a shortcut and uh, they'll do it for a while and think I'll clean up on that later. Um, but inadvertently it gets in it gets in there. So about one in 10 developers are actually leaking these passwords into public domain on an annualized basis, and it's growing by about 60% per year. So it's a big, big problem as well. You know, computers trusting other computers um, is a problem just, just as much as it is basically uh, users actually sharing uh, stored passwords. Mm. Yeah. And when you, I mean, when you think about those sort of numbers, that means you know, among amongst you know, amongst our listeners yeah. around the country, um, you know, th th there will be. I mean, if it's you know, one in one in ten developers are, are you know un unwittingly uh, you know un unleashing uh, these these secrets these 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 keys uh, in in their code, then yeah, that that uh, a, a pretty significant chunk of New Zealand organisations are likely um, you know, unwittingly part of that, and I guess that. Correct. That sort of, you know, brings us to that we can't, you know, when it when it comes to security, we can't just trust. There needs we need to verify, don't we? And we do. and you know, we obviously can't verify every single scenario. We were talking, uh, you know, prior to starting around the the latitude breach, which which impacted mm. you know millions in Australia and and certainly you know a large chunk of people in New Zealand. Um, Stephen, you said you were, you know, you were one of those who had uh, uh, had had um, some business with Latitude. You mm -hmm. had, uh, if I've got this right, you had you had stopped doing uh, being a, a customer of theirs. Mm -hmm. You had actually asked them to remove all your data and wipe your data. Correct. Uh, yeah. And they came back and said, "Yes, it's done." Yeah. Uh, and then then you get a notice. Yeah, uh, literally a, a few weeks later. A few weeks later, so they've obviously still got your data to be able to contact you at least. Yeah. Uh, which did did they say your data had been impacted? Was that the notice you yeah. got? Or was it a generic? I, I think one? it was a generic one saying right. my data had been impacted. Yes, yeah. I had the the same problem. Um, I am an Optus customer, and for those listening to this, understand there was an Optus mm -hmm. data breach, which which wasn't a credential theft. It was a the front door was left open. Um, and so within Australia, <clears throat> as an Optus customer, my driver license details were stolen. Um, so Optus paid somebody to renew my driver license. So I got a second number on the back of my driver license. Now Latitude has been breached. Uh, I got notification to say, hey, your data has been stolen. It could include your driver license. It could include this. And my, my wife and I were sitting back thinking, we used to be a customer of theirs. How long ago was that? And that was over 12 years ago, mm -hmm. and we, we 
took out credit to get a sofa or something we needed at the time, a little MasterCard, whatever it was, or Visa, can't remember which one it was, and that was it. We forgotten about it. Gone. Yeah, well, no, they didn't clear out my data, so I'm not sure what they're going to do with my driver license now, whether they change the numbers or give me a third number or whatever. But governments, I know within Australia, I'm not sure whether it's the same in New Zealand, we are beginning to move towards a digital license. So the update and the, the control and the security of that license becomes easier to control. I know in New South Wales, they've been doing it for some time, and you have an option of both. Um, in Victoria, they're beginning to talk about it and starting to trial it. So that's where I live in Melbourne. So. Yeah, and um, looking into that latitude um, breach, mm -hmm. it seems like latitude had had a lot of trust in the partners that they were working with, but maybe they hadn't uh, verified the the appropriate sort of levels of security in terms of what their partners didn't didn't you know uh, have access to and how secure their partners were because um, the understanding is that uh, the latitude um, breach was was via uh, you know one of one of their partners and yes. uh, there were was it you know credentials they they got access to from so. the from the information provided by latitude and by government bodies looking after it this was a credential breach of one of the partners or one of the organizations that leveraged the services of latitude and they had privileged access or they definitely had access into the broader latitude system and so subsequently were then able to procure or remove um, a whole a range of data the actual breach itself that they don't come out exactly most of them don't come out exactly and say oh, well this person removed the name but this person put in their username their password they were asked for a one-time password they entered that information what they didn't realize was that that was a phishing website so it was a fake website as far as the user was concerned they were entering it and they trusted that website they thought this is okay and away they go they thought everything was good but the bad actor had was in the middle, was relaying that information into the real site, stealing that information. Once authenticated, the user was authenticated and the bad actor was authenticated. The bad actor could then do whatever they wanted, move sideways through organizations into other organizations. So that is the problem. That is the general problem with anything to do with one-time passwords today. So. Any of you who use a software-based authenticator that generates a code that you enter into a website, you are trusting that website. That is where the problem lies. Um, technology is now available to remove that challenge, to remove the need for you to know what you're doing. And we can talk about uh, authentication protocols. We can talk about passwordless FIDO standards. Uh, Ubico invented or co-invented uh, this technology on, uh, nine years ago, and it's now been released by Microsoft, Google, Apple, and many other online vendors. All of your social media accounts, you can protect yourself with technology that no longer relies on you to be vigilant, to know that that's a bad site. Because within the technology world, we think we know what's going on. Imagine everyone else. They, they just think it's okay. So 
we can talk about that if need be. Mm. Yeah, the sophistication of a, a lot of the um, you know the dummy sites where they're trying to capture your passwords now. Uh, unless you're into you know forensics and have add-on tools in your computer to, to, to detect basically what's going on, at first glance you're not going to pick it up. And, that, and that's even for someone who's you know been in the industry doing security for 10 odd years. If they don't have those extra tools and skills to really understand what's going on, uh, you, you're going to get fooled sooner or later. You can now go online, dark web or even less of a dark web and purchase or rent a phishing as a service toolkit. And it just it looks like your website. It says, <laughs> yeah, and this yeah. is it. And it's in, you just give it the information, set it up, and it takes within an hour and you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. So it can be done. This is available. There's, there's good lessons here, isn't there? Yeah, it's always going to be a combination of, of things to get, uh, to get the best outcomes. Um, but yeah, it is, it's, it's a reality that even uh, you know, people that are they're really, really sharp at some you know, point in time or other will be, uh, yeah. will be, will be hit uh, in a manner that they don't necessarily you know, recognize uh, what, what's happening. So you've got to have all these right layers. Because what, what a lot of the sites do is once you've put your password and all in, regardless of whether you actually put it in right or wrong, they'll then pass you on to what you were expecting. So you're probably not going to know. And, yeah, not but if the, you don't notice. Yeah. The sky is not falling currently. Most of the attackers are going after financial assets now mm -hmm. rather than just trying to blow things up. So for most people, they're not getting stolen. Their information is not getting stolen. Your credentials are not getting hacked. But the organizations that you rely on for service, whether it's food, whether it's finance, whether it's medical, those are the services that are getting attacked. And realistically, why are they not implementing technology that's available to protect. And this is part of the conversation that mm. we're having. So mm. Mm. I wouldn't be scaring everyone to say, hey, we've all got to run away and stop using technology. Technology has its benefits. But really, we're as an industry, we need to, as much as possible, encourage organizations out there to adopt this or at least investigate the technology. He says it will stop people hacking me. Yes, in this vector, it will. How do you do that? Come and talk to us. There's always um, yeah, new attacks that we're hearing about on a on a on a constant basis. Just mentioned latitude, three CX telephony software that was that was hit recently. Quite a unusual scenario, I, I guess. But you know, often these things aren't cookie cutter. Otherwise, they would would have been blocked. But there's a degree to which that they are kind of cookie cutter. Stephen, could you maybe talk a little bit about this? Uh, you know, what we've seen recently with. Uh, with 3CX, mm -hmm. I guess for for those that aren't familiar, telephony software that might sit on a on a PC or a laptop, uh, so you don't have to have a desk phone or to augment uh, a desk phone uh, for you know making and receiving landline calls and clearing voicemail and so on. Right? Yeah. So 3CX obviously had a big up upsurge with um, COVID, with people sort of working from home and the likes. So it, it became probably a lot more well-known to your end consumer. Uh, but this was uh, a software supply chain sort of attack, and it, and it was sort of almost in, inadvertent that it ended up basically with 3CX because it started off with um, the Lazarus Group, uh, which is a financial sort of actor, and they were targeting more sort of uh, financial transaction type stuff. So 
they had targeted some uh, software on a, a various, like a mobile app store uh, that was used for sort of uh, currency trading, stuff like that. And, and they'd managed to put some malware and all into that. Uh, but then the person that was using that happened to be uh, one of the staff members at um, at uh, 3CX. 3CX. And because their system had now been infected, uh, they had malware on that that was actually able to um, sort of get control of, of the 3CX's system and then they were able to actually insert sort of uh, malware and all into the, into the 3CX uh, software supply chain. So it was really almost sort of by accident that it ended up 3CX sort of uh, was attacked. Mm. Um, and then they turned that into um, you know, a, a traditional sort of uh, you know, ransomware type, type of an attack. Yeah, I think they they were going to they were going after crypto, um, as I recall it was yeah. 3CX. So it was uh, yeah, um, yeah. That, I guess that was the unusual piece. It's not. I mean, yep. certainly we've seen that sort of thing in the past, but um, yeah, this had had a lot of you know devices, and um, no doubt there would have would have been some uh, that were hit that um, you know, might have might have had uh, keys for people's uh, crypto. So, mm. yeah. Um, and then one of the other ones that got, I guess, got a, a lot of uh, attention was the Colonial Pipeline um, mm -hmm. ran ransomware attack. Mm, is that one you could shed some light on, Alex? Certainly it's... It so uh, the Colonial Pipeline attack, for it's a number of years old now, two, two and a half, three years old. Um, some malicious people were able to compromise a user's credential uh, through mm. VPN, log into the network, and started to control the supply of oil and petroleum through the network and started to switch systems off and switch systems on, which resulted in trucks not being able to deliver goods in a certain part of uh, North America. Um, that drove the US government to update their standards around authentication because it was a simple attack and people couldn't get fuel to put in their car to go do, or food couldn't get delivered. And even airplanes, right? Yes. I think the, the, the airlines were the fuel was running running short of, of airline correct. fuel, right? There was, there was the the cascade of that problem was such that people stood up and went, oh, username passwords, maybe we shouldn't maybe we should try and divert them to get do something better. So there was a number of executive orders in sequence over time came out. First one was, thou shall use, so within a government, within the US government, thou shall use MFA. Use multi-factor. Sorry, multi-factor multi authentication. Yep. For anyone who doesn't think they know what that is, if you get an SMS from a bank to confirm a transaction, that's generally a second factor that you're confirming. Then they said, oh, the MFA we have wouldn't have solved that problem because it was a phishing attack that brought them through a website to gather their OTP to log into the VPN. Do we have technology? Yes, we have technology. We have phishing-resistant technology called, so the, the, the back-end term is WebAuthn and CTAP, but it's the FIDO alliance that's brought this to the, the fore. Thou shall implement phishing-resistant technology. Now, because we're part of the Five Eyes, the effect of that colonial pipeline attack has now flowed through the maturity levels of both the CERT-NZ uh, capabilities, although they, they are slightly behind the Australian as far as the wording within the, 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 the top 10, 
within Australia, we have the essential eight. I'm not sure why we have different things. But the wording is now coming down to we must have fishing resistant. And if you don't know what fishing resistant is, it means we don't want to rely on the vigilance of the user. Some people, what does vigilance mean? You know, you thinking that you know what you're doing. So we remove that. And the technology, in effect, takes that out of your control and cryptographically says, yes, you did register a key against that site and you're good to go. Or no, this site, I don't recognize it. And you're going, no, this is my site. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And the key wins. The the technology wins. And it says, no, we're not going to allow you to log in. So the bad person cannot grab your credential. So the colonial pipeline attack has driven multiple activities and has rippled through governments worldwide. And many, many are now taking up and talking to uh, Ubico and myself around, you provide a product that does this. Yes, we do. It's an open standard. So there's many other companies that also provide these physical hardware tokens. Um, but they're also baked into your iPhone. They're baked into an Android now. They're baked into your laptops. Wherever you have a hardware secure element, you can utilize this technology. Uh, so it's not just a key that I sell. When we first made these keys, we were the only company that did it. There's now 15 companies globally making this device because we, we didn't copyright the technology. Back to our goal, make the internet safer for everyone. So if we were proprietary and said, oh, it's all ours, we're not going to win. So industry standard, influence organizations. So the colonial one started to bring all that together, which is a sad thing that the attack happened, but it, it made people step up, mm. which is good. Now, I had um, a meeting with, uh, with Meta a couple of, couple of months ago um, in, in the studio here, mics off and so on, but um, it, was, it was an interesting discussion because I keep coming across so many people that are impacted by social media accounts getting compromised. Now, I think in the large majority of those those cases, um, there's password reuse and other reasons why those accounts have got compromised. And it's fair to say I've been fairly publicly scathing uh, in relation to social media uh, companies. Um, and, you know, because I think that they can do better with a number of aspects of of their their technology, um, but you know, from a, from a consumer uh, perspective, which 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 we all are, yes. Um, what's the what's the the advice that you would share in terms of protecting the the these basic um, yeah you know, basic things that that actually can be quite painful when people lose access to their accounts because of, well, in part because of the social media uh, companies mm -hmm. not really treating individual people's accounts as particularly valuable uh, assets, shall we Shall we say. And so they get renamed and all sorts of you know <laughs> shenanigans goes on. And, of course, some people have their social media accounts linked up to paid advertising for their business or for their sports club or for their, uh, you know, there's all, all, all manner of ways these things get uh, get linked together as well. The, the best way is initially is to switch on two-factor authentication. 
<clears throat> all the social media apps that we use support it. Um, that can be a scary thing for most people because username, password, I now have to do something else, whereas I didn't care before. But switching on two-factor authentication, whichever form of two-factor authentication, whether it's an email, whether it's a text message, whether it's a software authenticator, or whether it's a hardware key, that is a good thing. It's a good step. Utilizing password managers. If you're scared of your passwords, password managers are products that you can pay for $100 a year or less. Our physical security keys are 50 New Zealand dollars or less. You can use these tools to start to protect some of your environments. Utilize the inbuilt capability of, if you can reset your password, allow the tool you're in to give you a strong password. All of these incremental ways divert the malicious person to someone who hasn't. Um, so that is the first point. Any form of 2FA is better than none. However, if you point to large organizations, that's the ones who are getting attacked for the financial gain. They should be using something better. So that's my advice to anyone. Reusing passwords is not a good idea. So <laughs> I know that um, when it comes to authentication, there are three things. Something you know, which is a, a, a knowledge factor. Something you have, which could be a physical device or a physical token. And then something you are, which is a biometric um, Multiples of those are good things for two-factor authentication. Uh, the biometric is generally a convenience factor. Um, so you're, you're all aware when you open up your mobile phone in the morning and you do that face ID or your fingerprint, that is biometric. All it is is really masking a PIN, personal number, that you've entered in the background. And we all figured that out when masks came along because the face ID stopped working. What was my PIN? Okay, but thankfully they ask you every time you switch your phone on. The PIN protects the biometric. Biometric is um, convenient. Does give a level of security, but it's not the best. So having a PIN, just like a credit card, is one of the best things going. And notice a password though. Don't go change your password to a PIN. A PIN is something that protects a physical thing that you only have. So I'll stop there. I'll keep, I could keep going for that one. Yeah, there's, there's quite a lot involved in doing this. And I've, I've taken a, a bit of a layered approach. So, you know, where, where there isn't much consequence of losing, um, you know, having, having my information from a site, um, you know, available on the dark web, um, I, I will just use a password manager. Uh, but where it's something like I'm protecting my identity like a social media account or um, some, something like a, a where I might have to, for financial reasons, you know, share a passport or those types of things, I'll, I'll definitely go to a hardware token. So I've taken that sort of like uh, um, approach. And, and on a lot of the accounts uh, where I can do a second factor as a biometric um, it is very convenient because I don't take my hardware token absolutely everywhere that I go with me. Uh, but then again, I don't expect to be interacting with those types of services on a real frequent basis. So I have one key that I always have in my uh, keychain with my car, and I have another another key uh, that's in a you know bank secret, safety secret safe, safety deposit box actually. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's where the second one is because. 
you never know, you know, hardware mm. tokens sometimes can fail. My, mine are Ubico ones though, so they haven't failed. They've been <laughs> really good. So it's an interesting paradigm that most of us are familiar with. For us adults, uh, we have car. Generally, we drive or we have a bicycle or some type of description. We have a physical key, mm. and a physical key for us is normal. Correct. And you always have two, unless you've got an antique car that only came with one. But generally, most of us have two keys, mm-hmm. and we don't carry them together. Um, house keys, when wherever we live, we generally have access to more than one key. Now, taking that mindset and applying it to our online, we should have more than one credential that allows us access into it as yeah, a second correct. factor. Yes. So yeah. that if something gets compromised or you lose something or you forget something, you've got a second method. Most people don't understand that that is available. If you go into Facebook today, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, they allow you to register multiple credentials. All of your online email accounts do exactly the same. However, if you go to your bank, no, they don't. But they say, well, we'll, we'll gather your information and we'll, if we lose you on that one, we'll try and reach out to you. But generally, they're still sending you an SMS, which is not the best. But they will get there. Some banks are doing better than other banks. Just, just as, a, um, as, a, as an example around why SMS shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be uh, entirely trusted. In fact, I've had this happen multiple times, but the most recent one would have been in the last uh, six months was a visit to a telecommunications uh, provider in New Zealand uh, to get a new SIM card. Yeah, there, there was mention in the discussion around how I might need to you know, show passport or um, driver's licence, uh, but we were getting on well and having a good chat. So... The SIM card, the new SIM card associated with this particular number was provided, yeah, basically with, without a driver's license. Without identity so verification, what yeah, you're yeah, suggesting. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the, the sort of stuff we see in the uh, Catch Me If You Can movie, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of stuff is uh, mm-hmm. as real today as it ever has been. And, yeah, relying on, on text for your... Multi-factor yeah. authentication, uh, you yeah. know, it definitely helps, mm. but you've got to be wise, and that's why it's yeah. great that we're that mm. we're seeing more and more uh, secure options come yeah. come through. And if you go back a couple of years, uh, the mechanism for doing number porting um, wasn't protected, so you could actually have fraudulent people um, effectively taking over your mobile phone number um, automatically. Uh, without having to go in and be challenged for verification. And, and that was causing you know, fraud in the New Zealand market, sort of in the order of hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. That, the, that one didn't get a, probably too much public coverage, did it? I seem no. to uh, remember uh, that, was, uh, that was probably kept reasonably well under the radar and obviously it's yes. been addressed now so we, yeah. can, we can feel relaxed to, yeah. uh, to, to talk about it. But, um, yeah, I think that would probably yeah. shock quite a few Correct. Uh, people to, uh, yeah, to, there was, to hear that one. There was a bit of pressure put on through the carrier sort of telecommunications forum to actually mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Ha- have the vendor basically uh, sort that out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, big nice. problem. It's interesting you brought the, up that the SIM, SIM swapping attack is generally what you're talking about, but SMS as a technology. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that the, most entities layer on additional security once something seems broken rather than try and replace it. And if you just think of that, username password is 60-year-old, and then we move to complex password, rotating passwords, 
you know, whatever, check this database before you use a password, all of those things. Trying to fix username password, which wasn't there for security originally. It was there for time slicing. Then we moved to SMS. Now, where did that come from? Pagers. You know, they used to send you a beep, phone home. Okay, then, oh, we can put text in it. Why don't we use that for security? Then there was a SIM attached. Then we had SIM swapping. So now we have identity verification. So we had a technology that wasn't designed for security, became the mode of security, and we build barriers now to try and protect it. Um, mobile phones. You know, mobile phone is not designed for security. What was it designed for? Making a phone call, which we don't even do that now. And now we've layered on the software authenticators into them because it's convenient. And now we have mobile management software that tries to protect you. We now have push notification because typing a one-time password is both inconvenient and highly susceptible to attack. So we build out more. So all of these 2FA factors are that they're not designed for security. Thankfully, the industry has brought this technology, the, this uh, FIDO passwordless capability, this hardware-backed security keys, now called pass keys as a term to try and make it more palatable. Oh, it's not a password, it's a pass key. Yeah, people might accept that more. That is built with uh, highest level of security, including support for quantum when it comes along, uh, highest level of scale, and all about the individual themselves, ease of use. How do we make it easy for people to do these things? And it's designed for authentication, ease of use. So that's where the industry is going as a response to all of these things. I'll stop there. Yeah, really, really looking forward to that. Um, I've, I've, I've got it working on my Windows computer at home, but uh, I haven't, haven't got it running on my Apple one yet. But, yeah. you know, Apple, Microsoft, Google are all into this, right? They're completely yes. behind this. So yes. it's going to happen regardless of whether we want, want it to happen or not. You might as well actually protect yourself early. Yeah, yeah. the, the cryptography behind it is, uh, is exceptional. Um, Someone could say, yes, I know how to hack it, but generally they haven't been able to break this yet. You must implement it correctly. And so the, the large technology vendors are doing so. Uh, in January, February this year, Apple allowed you to protect your iCloud account, your Apple ID, mm -hmm. with security keys, and they state this is the best level of protection you can have. Go do it. Uh, Google have had it supported across Android for about eight or nine years, supporting Fido U2F which is like FIDO, the first version. We're now in the second version. Um, but they've just recently updated their statements around now supporting pass keys with security keys or on-device on security. And Microsoft and Ubicle initially brought this FIDO capability to the masses together through Azure Active Directory. So anyone who has Azure Active Directory, Office 365, Outlook clients, your personal email, you can now leverage this technology to give yourself good protection. Comes at a cost. You either have to buy a key or upgrade your device to support a hardware element. Um, mm -hmm. Windows Hello for Business is also very good. There's all of these technologies coming along that are making it easier and more secure. It's just adopting them is sometimes the challenge. And that, I guess that's probably the last, the last point is what, is it, what does it look like to, you know, get into the, the, the right place uh, in, in these regards because any bit of change has a level of uh, discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, Stephen with um, you know, 
with what what the sneak team do. Um, you know, my understanding is that uh, the the sneak software to help you know, I guess, secure a, an organization's uh, code. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, has been built in such a way it's actually quite easy to get up and running. But of course, mm-hmm. once you get up and running, probably going to you know find some yeah uh, find some things. So um, you know, there's well, we, we, wherever we look from a security standpoint to sort of step up is going to take uh, is going to take a bit of a bit of effort. But once we get these systems in place, mm-hmm. um, then we've we've really you know lowered lowered the risks dramatically. Right, I agree. The the, the things that are happening now, which are answering these type of questions, what do we do, how do we do it, governments must act. And in some countries they mandate, in other countries they recommend. And if you fi- read the fine print, they say, this is the most security, this is the highest level security you can have, and, but you can do any of these other things. And they're not mandating it yet. They're getting there. Mm-hmm. But I think that we rely on technology so much now that the influence of the technology companies will permeate. Mm-hmm. Um, the change is a good, a really good question. This security around authentication, the the, the 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 organization is trying to make it easier. So change is not a bad thing in this. Change is bad for most people, but change to a better thing. And it's mm-hmm. interesting with some of my uh, customers. I was at a retail event yesterday, and I I have a large retail organization in Australia. They're moving from username password to I have a physical key because it's a shared point of sale equipment. I tap through NFC. I enter a PIN, personal number, and then I tap again. No password. There is no password anywhere in that entity. User does not need to remember it. User does not need to uh, renew it. And the bad guy can't hack it, which is kind of good. Different organizations are moving down slowly, but. Yes, I'll help them as we go along. Yeah, yeah, that and that's how, that certainly sounds good for that uh, that that type of retail uh, scenario, and I'm sure a range of others. Yeah, yeah. So for protecting developers, you know, we we have a like a free tier uh, solution that people can go and sign up for, and what that does is, um, you know, with about five minutes set up, uh, a developer can protect themselves from inadvertently. Uh, sharing basically those tokens, uh, those those you know, uh, tokens and uh, passwords basically into their code. So it happens uh, at a convenient point for a developer. So uh, all developers use a integrated development environment, an IDE, and as soon as you commit anything on your IDE, even if it's on your local machine, we'll go, aha, you've 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 leaked this. Um, fix, fix that now before mm-hmm. you actually go and uh, put it out into the uh, public internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all around sort of making things easy uh, for organisations. Anything else you'd like to uh, to add before we to before we finish up uh, to to help our uh, listeners in their uh, security improvement uh, journeys? From my own personal perspective, at some point you will have to do this. You will have to apply two-factor authentication, multi-factor. You'll have to know about pass keys. Most people are not idiots. They understand how technology works on their phones. They understand bits of technology. They have the capability of doing this. And there is a legacy mindset within organizations. Oh, no, my staff are all idiots. They can't make this change. They can because they're using tech. They've been using tech for a long time. 
they can do this thing. So I, 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 I suggest they go and look, they go and investigate and say, I may just do a little bit different things and eventually I'll get to something better. That would be my ask, whether it's with my product or any other product, I don't care. Make your online presence safer. The bad guy will hopefully go somewhere else. And most people are already you know, in some way along this journey, right? And certainly those that are listening to to this show, I'd be shocked to find that uh, because we've been talking about these things for a long time, uh, to find that there would be anybody that didn't have multi-factor authentication in place. But of course, even that sort of basic level is a journey because people have a lot of accounts, right? So it's, yes. oh, yes, I've got this one, that one covered. Oh, yeah, I got hacked over here because that one wasn't wasn't protected. So we have to keep moving, moving along, don't we? Yeah, yeah. take the next step up. That's mm. what you need to commit to. If you don't have second factor, add second factor. If you've got second factor and you've got sensitive data, go up to a hardware key. Just mm. take mm. the next step. Mm. Great. Well, this has been really, uh, really insightful chat. Thank you, Alex Wilson, for joining us. Thank you, Stephen Phillips. Uh, and of course, thank you to our show partners, to 1NZ, 2Degrees, SparkNZ, HP and Gorilla Technology uh, for their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you on the next episode. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.